But I want to invite you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Remain standing for the reading of the word, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Where you'll find these words reading from the English Standard Version of the Scripture. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Amen. I want to talk from this thought today, eliminating fear in your life eliminating fear in your life. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. There are many of us, I suspect, that at one time or another could say that fear captivated And paralyzed our lives. Am I right about that? Just throw your hand up real fast. Don't let nobody see that. Amen. Amen. Fear has a way of destructively consuming a life. So much so that you will feel that there is nothing you can do. Because of fear. And as we turn our attention to the Apostle Paul's pastoral writing here to his son Timothy, who was his son in the ministry, we witness an interesting dynamic regarding service in the Lord's work. That dynamic or that principle is that in order to serve Christ in an increasingly hostile and sin-filled world, we must be able to and willing to address and eliminate fear in our lives. I'm going to throw this in for somebody here today. You've been walking wrong so long that it seemed right. And you are afraid of what it would be like to walk in righteousness. You you don't have to say nothing. I already know. (laughs) You 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 are paralyzed to think, what would it be like if I took the steps to really follow Christ? How many friends would I lose? How many, how many relationships that I've cultivated over the years and many of them perhaps negative and have hurt me and yet I still move in the direction of those relationships. How many of those have I worked on over the years and how many of them would I lose if I decided I'm going to live for Jesus? The enemy wants you that afraid. 
So much so that you think if I do what's right, I can't do it. I, I'm unable to, to take that step. I've got to hold on to these things that have become comfortable in my life. Things I've come to depend on. Stuff that, that, that I should let go, but I'm holding on because I've, I've gotten, it's, it's like my Linus blanket. Some of y'all know what that is, don't you? Remember the peanuts and Linus and Linus had that that little blanket and everywhere he would go, that blanket had to go with him. If anything happened to that blanket, Linus was just messed up. Some of us are holding things in our life because we're afraid to let them go. We're afraid to toss them away. And, and, and the reason that I say that this is an interesting dynamic is because fear can sometimes, now fear can sometimes, that's what makes it so interesting, it can sometimes be a good thing. Now what are you saying, Pastor? How can fear sometimes be a good thing? Let me, let me give you an example from, from my own life. It, it really depends on the circumstances. See, I have a healthy fear of lions, I suspect I'm not alone in that in here. I, I have a healthy fear of lions. And the wisdom that I've acquired from watching video of how these kings of the jungle, these creatures operate, creates a healthy fear and encourages me to just stay away from lions. And as a result, I do not go to the lion's den on my own accord. If you hear about Pastor Ray in the lion's den, he got thrown in. Amen. Y'all, see, y'all, y'all look at Daniel, and you understand, Daniel didn't volunteer for the lions. Somebody getting set free right here. Daniel didn't volunteer for the lion's den. He was put in the lion's den. Just as a side note, if you get put in the lion's den, know that you have a God that'll shut the mouth of the lion. So, 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 so I... Uh, this, this, there, there, are, there are these fears, there are other fears that you may have, and some of them are born from some wisdom or knowledge that you've attained by your life experience. Perhaps these fears served you well and even kept your family safe. However, this is not the type of fear that we really need to eliminate from our lives. The type of fear that we need to address and eliminate is that which inhibits us from boldly advancing the gospel and the cause of Christ. Christ in this world. That's the fear we need to get rid of. Now, now don't try to overlook the fact that we live in a world that is controlled by our adversary, Satan. And because of this, Satan attempts to strike fear into the hearts of those who trust Christ for salvation. Our adversary does not want a bold Christian. You know why? Because bold Christians change their families for Christ. Bold Christians change their communities for Christ. And bold Christians change this world for Christ. Bold Christians are a direct threat to the kingdom of hell in this world. And the next time you go around saying the world is going to hell in a handbasket, think about how many Christians are trying to get in the way of that. 
Where is the boldness of believers? I, I'm, I'm concerned that some of us might not have done so well in first century Christianity. They were throwing people to the lions for sport who confessed Christ. They were not just throwing you to the lions for sport. The Romans were so dastardly that they would use Christians for street lamps. Light them up at night. Burning people simply because they confess Christ. Some of us might not have done too well. I'm just saying. In first century Christianity. So it is in this context of a world gone mad in first century Christianity that Paul writes to Timothy. He reminds his son in the ministry that in him lies what is known as a sincere faith. He uses that term genuine or sincere faith. That genuine faith was part of his immediate family. Timothy's mother and grandmother were strong and sincere believers. Now, parents, I'm going to throw this in for free. This is a very important thing for you. It's a strong indication of why it's important to live your faith in front of your children. Timothy's grandmother and mother lived their faith in front of Timothy. And I don't care what you say to your children. If you're not living what you say, your children are confused. You don't have to say nothing right there. I know that's right. <laughs> you can't turn up for the devil and claim you're turning up for Jesus. You know, you can't dress up for church on Sunday and get your fleek on for the devil later. Some of y'all going to have to look that word up, fleek, y'all. Look, get your urban dictionary out, you'll find. <laughs> you can't you can't you can't do that and think your children will not be confused by what you're doing. And so, Timothy, Paul says, there was this sincere faith, a sincere faith before our children. It helps produce genuine faith in their lives. Paul could speak about the sincere faith of Timothy, his mother and his grandmother, because sincere and genuine faith does not reside below the surface of our lives. It is open. It is honest. And it is visible to everyone around us, especially those people that are closest to us. Sincere and genuine faith is a bold and openly displayed faith. It is a faith that's not afraid to stand for Christ in the most difficult of circumstances. It's not a faith that it's not a faith that's afraid to stand for Christ, as I said last week, in perilous times. It is a bold faith. It is a visible faith. It is a faith that says, not only will I speak of Christ in my home, but I'll speak of Christ everywhere I go. Therefore, Paul encourages Timothy that because 
He has in him a sincere and genuine faith. It is important that he stir up the gift of God. He says this, stir up the gift of God, which is in you. Now get that. Every one of you who are a believer in Jesus Christ has a gift that is in you. And some of us don't recognize that that gift And my cooks can help me here. Some things you cook, you just have to stir. Amen. I used to see my grandmother and mother standing over a pot in the kitchen and on the stove. And they'd just be stirring. And they'd be stirring. And they'd be stirring. And and there was a reason for the stirring up of the gift of the food. Because you wanted to cook evenly and be right. And so... Paul says, Timothy, here's what you've got to do. You've got to stir up this gift of God that is already in you. You have a gift in you. I wish I had somebody here. You have it. It's in you. You may not think it is. And you know why? Because it's been dormant. Because you've been leaving it on the stove. The, The flame is down low. It's barely even simmering. And you haven't stirred up that gift. So what what Paul is saying, that stirring up the gift means that you have to fan the flame of that gift so it burns hotter and brighter in your life. Paul is not telling Timothy that he doesn't have a gift. He's telling him that you got to maintain that gift. You got to stir it up. You got to fan the flame of that gift. And it has the, the it's an analogy to, to a campfire that, that hasn't quite died out. And if you want that campfire to come back, you gotta do what's necessary to help those those embers begin to burn again. And that's what we need to do as believers. Too many of us have allowed the embers of our spiritual life to go dim. We need to get together with our Lord and Savior, get back to loving Jesus the way we loved him when we first met him, so that we can again Again, burn hotter and brighter for Christ. See, today's contemporary Christian seems like we don't have a desire to burn hotter and brighter for Christ. In fact, we've kind of retreated to the comfortable confines of our sanctuaries, daring not even to speak the Lord's name outside of the building. We get real hot on Sunday, but real cool on Monday. And sometimes Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Huh? I mean, we we praise God in the sanctuary, but where is your praise when you leave this room? Where is your dance when you leave this room? Where is your joy when you leave this room? It's cool to say, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away in here. But it's another thing to walk down Fifth Avenue singing that. I see y'all got quiet on that one, didn't you? It's another thing to be in your neighborhood outside on your street and just singing that. I got a joy that in, my, in my heart that the Lord has given to me and nobody can take it. That's another thing altogether. Are you afraid that somebody's going to think you crazy? I got news for you. Most of them already think you're crazy. 
That's, if you if you try to protect that, let me tell you, most of the unbelievers that you know already think something's wrong with you. But <laughs> you you going where on a Sunday or every to church? What? They already think something's wrong with you. So so we have to we have to ask ourselves this question: Why should God's army be in retreat in this world? No army is effective in retreat. God's army ought to be marching forward. Why are we not fanning the flame of our God-given gifts? I believe it's because too often we operate in a spirit of fear. A mindset that desires not to offend to the point that our gospel message seems weak and impotent in the face of those who promote sin and evil in our world. We operate in fear in the church. Both our leadership and our fellowship. I just made that word up, fellowship. <laughs> we, we operate in fear. We have leaders who are afraid to speak on those things that thus saith the Lord. How in the world can you stand behind this desk and declare to God's people anything but the truth of God's word? I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't want to be judged. I'll be judged for enough. <laughs> I don't want to be judged on messing over God's word. So we have, we have an issue. Leak, weak, weak leaders and, and, and weak leaders produce weak followers. How can light be light? And be afraid of the dark at the same time. Jesus said you're the light of the world. But you're afraid of the dark. I'm a little boy. I had to have a little nightlight. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to admit it. (laughs) But it got to a point in time in my life. As I matured. It became a bit silly. For me to have a nightlight on. When my wife married me, the nightlight was a thing of the past. She know it. I didn't need a nightlight no more. Of course, I had her, so that was... (laughs) But you, you 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 don't mature and still be afraid of the dark... What is, what is wrong with us? Because darkness is, a, is, is acting up. All of a sudden we go into retreat. Something's wrong with a church, with a people, with a Christian that says, I'm going to run away from darkness when you have the power of God in your life to say to the darkness that Jesus died and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. So, leaders who are afraid... To confront sin in our world with the gospel of Christ produces produce followers that are also afraid to practice what we are called to do and gifted by God to do. To preach the gospel to all persons. Now, the first order of business in the family of God is to rebuke, abolish, and get rid of the spirit of fear that too often grips our lives in Christ. Yet to do so, we must reveal this fear and learn how it operates in the lives of believers. 
What then is this spirit of fear or timidity of which Paul speaks? Here it is right here. The spirit of fear is a timid, cowardly, shameful fear that is often generated by inwardly focused and selfish character. Now that I made you sufficiently mad, <laughs> Pastor called me selfish. We all are selfish. And fear keeps us that way. Keeps us thinking about only ourselves. Fear like this is, is identified because this kind of fear lives on a street called Lack of Faith Boulevard. Located in a town called Can't Trust God. This fear roots in our lives because we care too much for our lives in this world and too little for our citizenship in the next. We have too many attachments to this world. We care too much about what people in this world are going to think about us. We are fearful because we lack the faith in God. To guide our lives. We are simply too afraid to trust God. And the result is, my brothers and sisters, that we live in fear. Now, look at what Paul is saying to Timothy. I want you to pay attention to this. Verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, this type of fear does not come from God. And, and just so he, but I help you understand how, how this connects. Last week, I, I, I talked about the 27th number of Psalms towards the end of the message. I want to bring that up again because I want that to really resonate as to what David was really saying in that 27th Psalm. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now that question says that since the Lord is my light and my salvation, the really, really he's asking a rhetorical question. Whom shall I fear? If the Lord is my light and my salvation, there's nobody that I need to be afraid of. But some people may not have been convinced. So he goes on to say, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord anchors my life. There's no reason for me to be afraid of anybody or anything. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Someone wiser than me put it like this, says, where there is fear, there is no faith. And where there is faith, uh, uh, there is no fear. Where there is fear, there is no faith. Where there's faith, there's no fear. We must collectively and individually cease from using that which God, which did not come from God, and begin to use what God gave us to achieve success in life and in ministry. When Moses was standing at the Red Sea and Egypt was closing in on him, Pharaoh was bearing down. 
Moses had one of those moments that we often have in life where he's like, okay, Lord, I need to get an answer here. Because I, if I turn around and go back, that's for sure death. If I go forward, all of us can't swim. <laughs> that's for sure death. So it looks like that what's in front of me is going to destroy me. And then I know I can see what's in back of me has bad intentions. So what do I do? And Moses, God said to Moses, Moses, stretch out your rod. See, some of y'all didn't get that right there. See, you have something already in your hand, in your possession that will help you overcome anything that comes against you. Stretch out your rod. I wish I had some people in here. If you have the faith to use what you have. Look at this. There, in this text, in this text, God gives us three things. Three things he gives to every Christian. First thing he gives us, he gave us power. Everybody say power. He gave us power. Now, that, that seems like that even appeals to our, our baser instincts. Everybody likes power. Who doesn't want to have power? You know, if you, you know some of us, you know, we, we, we used to be real nice till we got promoted. <laughs> Until they gave you a title and you you became the manager or something like that. You was real nice. Then power had a way of dealing with it. But that's not the kind of power we're talking about here. God gave us power. Look at what he says. He says he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of power. What kind of power did God give us? The Greek word translated power here is the word dunamis, and it means great force or energy. We get the word dynamite from this word, but it also means this. It means effective power. See, if you use dynamite, Without having a purpose and without being careful, you can mess some things up, could you? You don't sit around your house and light dynamite. <laughs> Let me just see what this going to do. I, my sink is clogged up. I'm going to drop some dynamite. <laughs> you will unclog the sink, likely. <laughs> but you're going to cause some other problems. And so, and so we, so this type of power is effective because it's used in the right context. And the problem that we, we have is that we don't understand that we have this power, but it's not a wasted energy. It's not to meant to be unbridled. It doesn't mean that because you become a Christian, now you go around with your spiritual hatchet and just start cutting people up. That's not what this power is for. You don't just go around hacking folks up. You know, I'm holy, you're not... That's not what this power is about. God's power is given with purpose to every believer. The sole reason we have been given power is to be effective in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the service of the Lord. God did not give you this power because you deserve it. In fact, he gave it to you in spite of your track record. Amen. God, Paul says this, we have this treasure in vessels made of clay, in earthen vessels, in vessels that come apart, in vessels that are cracked. God has given his grace, his mercy, and his gospel to a bunch of crackpots. 
so that the excellency, you got to keep reading that, don't you? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When I recognize I am the old beat up Kool-Aid pitcher that your grandmother would never get rid of. Pass it down through generations. It's, it's bad looking. It's ugly. It's, it's beat up. It's been through the ringer. But all you want to know is can that Kool-Aid pitcher keep Kool-Aid cold just one more time? <laughs> Amen. That's who we are. We are used of God in spite of the weakness of our flesh. Somebody ought to get excited right there. That in spite of where you've been, in spite of what you've done, God says, I still want to use you. If you was really getting this, we'd have to take a praise break right now. (laughs) See, God says, on your best day, you offend me. When you think you're being really good, you still offend me. I'm so holy that your flesh can't even come into my presence and live. You remember what he told Moses? Moses, I can't let you see my face, man. If I let you see me, you're not going to make it. So what God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to hide you, and I'm just going to let the the hinder parts, the rear parts of my glory pass by you. And just in getting a glimpse of God's glory, when Moses came down off the mountain, the people were afraid of him. They looked at him and said, your countenance has changed. Imagine what would happen if this flesh saw God's face. That's how holy God is. And so that we've been given this power to be effective in the service of the Lord. That's all it is. No selfish motives. You have not been given this power so you can be more popular in your church. You've not been given this power so somehow we can then stand up and and say, thanks to you, we would not have made it. (laughs) You're not given this power because you carry a title. Titles are a dangerous thing. We get caught up in titles. I mean, if I, get, if I see one more Facebook post about somebody making themselves a bishop. You had three people in your congregation and you a bishop. Now, I'm not trying to say that numbers are everything. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that I probably wouldn't be making myself a bishop if I didn't have but three members. I'm just saying that right now. All right, I I, I digress. I'll get back. We don't experience God's power in this matter because we lack trust in him. Only when we trust him fully will we see the fullness of a power that is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think. To access God's power in breaking fear in your life takes a surrendered heart. The old hymn writer said, I surrender all. All to Jesus I freely give. I surrender 
all. In order to really experience the power of God in your life the way God would like for you to experience it, you got to give up on self and put your trust in the Lord. See, them old saints knew what they was talking about. They sing that song, I will trust in the Lord until I die. I'm going to trust in the Lord. See, if you've never trusted in anything else, you may not get excited when we talk talking about trusting in God. But if you've ever trusted in yourself, if you ever trusted in your mate, if you ever trusted in your job, if you ever trusted in your money and found yourself let down, then you understand when we say, I will trust in the Lord, that means something to us because he will never let you down. I will trust in the Lord. So he gave us power. And to experience that power, we've got to surrender. Now, the second thing that God gave us is that he gave us love. Everybody say love. Oh, yes, everybody likes love. He gave us love. But let me help you understand something about the love that God gave us. It's not the, the smoochy, kissy love that you share with your spouse. That's not the kind of love we're talking about here. God has, the Bible says, he's given us a spirit, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. As a gift to every believer, God has given love. The type of love is an agape love. Everybody say agape, agape, agape love. That is an unconditional love, a love that does not come with prerequisites. Oh, oh, see, you're getting ready to get set free right here. Because a lot of our love comes with some prerequisites, doesn't it? You got to treat me right before you get this love. Uh-uh, that's not it. <laughs> you know, you got to have a certain amount of money before you get this love. Uh, no, that's not it either. Oh, no, you have to go, you have to say the right things and look a certain way before you get this love. That's not the love either. God's love that he gives us is unconditional. It comes with no prerequisites. That's why you can't love everybody. You hold on to some prerequisites. That's going to catch up with you when you get home. This agape love is visible and demonstrated, not hidden and implied. It is visible. This love is so strong that it restrains our flesh from seeking revenge, even when our wounds are deep and painful. How many people in here had your feelings hurt before? Amen. This love that God gives you, will cause you to smile, embrace, and pray for the one who wounds you. See, that's, that's not a, that's, that's not a, that's a, see, that's not a normal thing. That's not a, our flesh says, hold on a minute. Your fingerprints on the knife in my back. You getting ready to get dealt with, <laughs> and then and then you know you know some of us you know we've we've gotten a little holier than that. We don't we don't come outright and say we're gonna deal with, but we deal with you in a spiritual way. I'm gonna pray for you, but I'm not gonna deal with you. I'm gonna pray for you, 
but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be around you. This kind of love is so powerful that God has given you that you can smile in the face of your enemies. So you ain't getting this. Let me go back to David and just let something out the bag right now. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And one of the reasons he's my shepherd, because he makes a table in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Right when my enemies are right there, God says, sit down, have a seat, and enjoy yourself. And my enemies are all around. See, that's the kind of love. You can't do it. See, you, your enemies come in the room, you get indigestion. I got a little reflux going on. <laughs> you all discombobulated and upset and blood pressure going up. He makes a table. You prepare a table. The inference there is you fix a table with everything I need right in the presence of my enemies. My enemy saying, how is he so healthy? How is he so strong? Because I'm eating from God's table. You thought hating me was going to cut that off? You got another thing coming. So, so this love is strong. It's it's a strong love. Now, let me tell you that this God's gift of love is to be manifested or visible in the life of the believer, in every believer, in three specific ways. Number one, how we love him. How do we manifest that love? We manifest it because we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments. Jesus said this, if you love me, huh? if you love me, sing my songs. If you love me, preach my word. If you love me, say hi to the person you can't stand. That's not what he says, is it? If you love me, keep my commandments. So we show our love to him by keeping his hand. Then the other way we do it is how we love others. We serve his purpose. We put ourselves on the line. We serve his purpose by serving others. We share, we share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ because his purpose is the salvation of the world. To tell everybody about his son Jesus. And then this love is manifested visibly in how we love ourselves. Now how do you love yourself? Well, here's the thing. In loving myself, I value the gifts that God has given me. And that gift that God has given me is what Paul is telling Timothy. You need to fan that flame. Because you love, you love who God has created you to be. And so I love the gifts that God has given me. The gift of love is critical to your success and in reaching your potential in Christ. You will encounter circumstances that require that you love your way out of them. You're not going to be able to talk your way out. You're not going to be able to think your way out. You're not going to be able to come up with a plan that's good enough to get out that situation. You're going to have to love your way out. Why? Because you will meet people in this world that require you 
to love the hell out of them. Y'all go, y'all go back and tell nobody I was cussing in the pulpit. But some folk you just got to love the hell out of. They're so full of evil that the only way to deal with them is just to love that evil out of them. The more evil you are, the more I'm going to love you. Now run tell that. What y'all thought Christianity didn't, the only cross was Jesus' cross? You got a cross. He says, take up your cross and follow me. The last thing, and we'll be done. The last thing that he, he gave us is self-control. Now, I find it interesting that Paul says he's giving you power, he's giving you love, and he's giving you self-control. Wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you already tell us in Galatians chapter 5 that self-control was one of the fruit of the Spirit? Certainly Timothy would know that. Why would you have to reiterate that? Because that's one of the hardest things that we let the Holy Spirit need to let the Holy Spirit do in our life and provide self-control. Oh, yes, it got quiet in here, see. You need self-control because your flesh is out of control. <laughs> you think because you haven't done anything lately. That you got that flesh under control. Oh, I wish I had somebody here. See, everybody's temptation is not the same. Huh? Some of your temptations, you've done very well. Oh, yeah, that's right. You could take 10,000 pounds of cocaine, set it all around me, and I'll preach like it's going out of style. But you let me hear. I'm going to hush right there. <laughs> See, some of, you, some of y'all don't want to really be serious about what your temptation. You will never be tempted with something that you're not already weak for. The enemy's been watching you all your life. He know when you snuck and when you was younger and turned on the Playboy channel and all of that. He knows that your computer got a couple sites on it that... Shouldn't be on there. He knows that every time you see Tyson Beckford with his shirt off, you get excited. And, 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 and some of these guys, he knows that every time you hear the word, the name Brad Pitt. Wow. See there? See how y'all think I'm playing. I told you. <laughs> every time a movie with Brad Pitt, come on, Scott. I just sit there and don't say nothing. I know. For the next two hours, I'm, I'm persona non grata. I just. <laughs> Good thing Adam Santos don't have that problem. I'm just saying. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we, we are tempted with what we're weak for. And God gave us self-control. Self-control is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why that fruit. You have to, that has to be produced in your life. And Paul's telling Timothy, you got self-control. You've been given a gift of self-control for God. You can't let everything that come up, come out. 
Every time you get a notion, sometimes you need to hit the pause button. Let me let me pause this for a minute because I'm getting ready to show out and I know it. See, see, see that that's you know, we always try to play like showing out came to us by surprise. You know you have a temper problem. Sometimes you just need to be able to walk away. So you don't give your flesh an opportunity. Sometimes you just need to say, God bless you and I love you and I'll see you later. You know you have some people that you still struggling to love. Self-control. Here, self-control can be summed up in two words. Discipline and judgment. Discipline and judgment. Now, discipline, what does it mean? Discipline means he has given you the ability to say no to what you need to say no to and yes to say yes to what you need to say yes to. God, don't you say you couldn't help yourself. Use a lie and the truth ain't in you. As my grandmother used to say. Don't you say you can help. I couldn't help it. Yes, you could. You knew that that was dangerous. Solomon said this in Proverbs. Don't even drive past the harlot street. I'm helping somebody in here today. There are people and things that your flesh is attracted to. It's not always uh, sex or anything like that. Sometimes it's food. Help me hear somebody. Reason why Burger King tell you can have it your way. They done plan in your mind, I'm going there and get what I want the way I want it. Go to McDonald's, they act like they get attitude because I said no onions. Go to Burger King, I can have it my way. Me a double whopper with cheese. Hold the onions. Super size, large size, that thing. Sometimes I just need to go, keep going home. I just, did I tell on myself just then? I just, I just need to drive past that place. Don't even go down. And I heard a nurse sometime, 11 o'clock at night, I'm looking for a Burger King. Like I'm going to get the shakes if I don't have a Whopper. Don't look at me like I'm the only one. <laughs> see, see, you have to know what to say no to. That's what self-control, that's what discipline does. Paul says, I discipline my body and I beat it down every day. I don't give it a, a, a second. Because I know that I can be disqualified and I want to be able to preach to others. So he says, you got to know what you, what you need to say no to and yes to what you need to say yes to. There are some things that we've given yeses to that should have been no's in our life. Oh, don't get quiet now. You got some yeses that should have been no's. Look at somebody say, me too. Me too. I got some yeses that should have been no's. You know you shouldn't have gave your phone number out. 
But see, Satan know you like 6 220. See. Let me hush, because there's going to be a couple of conniptions in here in a minute. I... <laughs> show me an undisciplined person, and I will show you an unfulfilled life. You will never reach your potential being undisciplined. You don't know how to say no. You'll never reach your full potential in Christ. Life is filled with some no's. You just can't say yes to everything. There are people who will run you ragged. They'll take advantage of your kindness. And sometimes you just need to tell them no. I'm going to help some parents right here. Reason your kids act the way they do is because you haven't introduced them to no. You want to wait today, 20 years old, and say, Pastor, could you meet with him? Then hope I don't say no. <laughs> but see, I have to undo all the work that you should have been doing. As a parent, you should have learned how to say no. You must introduce hardship into your child's life so they'll know how to deal with it when they get older. That's why so many of our babies get a job and they get fired on the first week. As soon as the manager say mop the floor, which is in your job description, I ain't mopping no floor. Who are who you? You ain't nobody. Go home. <laughs> You set the child up for failure, I'm telling you. So to live successfully for Christ, we must have discipline. No boundaries equals no success. You've got to have discipline in your life. Now the last thing is, is that you've got to have judgment. Discipline and judgment make up self-control. Judgment is the ability to see trouble coming. That's what God has given you. The ability to see trouble coming. I know that there are certain things that my wife like and she don't like. If I do what she doesn't like, I'll be, I'll be singing that song, Trouble in My Way. I got to cry sometimes. You got to be able to see trouble coming. And that's a, that's a spirit-led mind. That's a spirit-led gift. You need to see trouble coming. You can't go and cuss somebody out and expect them to be okay. You done talked about them up and down, side to side. And you want to look at them there. Now, you know I love you. You shouldn't have made me talk like that. Oh, no. Good judgment. Good judgment is a gift that God gave you to view a circumstance, see the trouble, and see God's way out. There's no temptation under the sun that befalls a man that God has not made a way to escape. You need to ask God to guard 
that split second between the instance and your response. There's a split second there. Give that split second to the Holy Spirit. Lord, you in charge of my split second. Because if I go the way of my flesh, it's not going to be pretty. But if I let you guide my footsteps, I wish I had somebody here. I can see the trouble coming. There are some things that you ought to recognize as trouble by this point in your life. You ought not still be fooling around with the same, same old stuff. We sending God a SOS. Same old sin. Lord, if you get me out of it this time, I promise I won't ever do it again. You ought to be able to grow beyond that. Discipline, judgment, self-control in the Christian life so that people won't think that somehow you are hypocritical in this walk because your hypocrisy reflects negatively on Christ. Don't you want to honor Christ in everything we do? So not only do we stand strong and do the right thing, but even when we're wrong, we honor Christ by being quick to repent. You heard somebody's feelings, repent. Don't be afraid. God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise. Stand up to me. In this place, stand on your feet all over the room. All over the room as we, as we consider that Christ has called us to be bold in our lives and the way we walk and the way we talk. I just want to take one or two minutes right here and say, if there's anybody here today that feels that you're ready to make a commitment to Christ in your life, I want to encourage you from right where you are that God has loved you before you ever even knew love. God has given an opportunity for you to receive grace and mercy. This is your time. This is your day. And if you're here today and that speaks to your heart, I want you to think about how much he loved you, that he gave his son Jesus for your life. And that's what it's all about. His love for us through Christ, the gospel, is simply God loving you so much that he paid the price for your sin with Jesus' blood. And he wants to secure your place with him forever. And all you need to do is believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. The Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. That's you you today and that speaks to your life. I want you to take this moment and come down here and let me pray with you. If you want to give your heart and your mind to a loving God, this is your time right now. Let's sing that.